Hi, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia's Peanut Team. I'm Scott Mumford. I'm your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. All right, welcome back. This is All About the Pod, episode 2 for 2024. Hey, there you go. A lot of twos in that. But we are back, and we got a few things that we want to cover today. Um, some of which, you know, I've I've talked with many growers at a few, you know, uh, across our past at the grower meetings, and that's what I want to kind of throw out there to this uh, to the group that we got today. And we do have a a different group than what we've had before, uh, at least in the first one. Uh, we got uh, Semiverk. He's our precision ag specialist, and he's going to be here to uh, help talk about a few things on the planter side of things. And then we got Scott Tubbs, my counterpart, and also David West from the Georgia Peanut Commission. Hello there. Yeah. Glad to have all of y'all on. The um, It's always good to have different people. And, and people would probably say that out there that are listening, when is Scott Mumford going to shut up and somebody else going to talk? You know, but I reckon uh, that's what that's what sucks about being the the host. I've always got to keep it going. So I hope I sound okay because you're stuck with me for a while. Well, that's your job. <laughs> that's why you get paid the big prime box. person for it until I you reckon. find Macy too. Yeah, and finally <laughs> Macy too. Yeah, people love Macy's voice, and uh, I'm glad that we have Macy still in extension. For the guys that are up in Turner Turner County and around that are listening, uh, Macy Wheeler, well, sorry, Macy, and I'm trying to, what is her last name now? Vess. Mosteller. Mosteller. See, I always get names wrong, and so I just wanted to make sure that I, I, but Macy Mosteller, and um, she's probably one of the the good ones out there, and so we want to make sure that you, Reach out, try to use her in the county, and uh, she'll definitely get you the information you want to get because she is definitely now. She won't be there this week. I think they're out having fun somewhere in the Bahamas or somewhere that St. Lucia. I don't know climate. where they're at, but they're in a they're in a happy spot right Warmer now. Warmer climate, <laughs> but um, but no, we're glad that uh, that she is on board. So let's get started. One of the things, Scott, uh, that I I thought I would at least comment and getting your comments on this. And then we're just going to go kind of feed it out um, with some other information too, but had several people talk about, you know, we were at the um, Georgia seed improvement meeting yesterday and we are talking about seed. We're, well, I mean, that's, that's the main topic we're talking about seed and, and how does, how does our seed look so far? And basically what I got out of that meeting yesterday from Dr. Crabtree over at Georgia Department of Ag is that, hey, we're looking pretty good right now. Um, you know, for the most part, I think, what, 85 to 95 or most of them in the 90s to 95 percent germ rate. So I, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, coming out of a year like last year where the maturity profiles were split, Exactly. You know, um, you get into some situations of seed concern of what, what's going to look like going into this year. But, you know, when you, when you really think through it, sometimes that my mindset goes to maybe that's possibly helping things a little bit by having that split crop because that front end of the curve 
the majority of that seed, you know, is going to be good, mature, viable seed. And some of the stuff on the back end, you might be able to cull that out a little bit and, and separate that out for the seed lot where that, a lot of that other stuff doesn't make it into the seed. I don't know. Uh, it was just something that came to mind was, you know, a bimodal distribution like that on the maturity. You know, how, how does that, how is that going to affect seed? And, uh, you know, you and I have both talked at county meetings this year talking about, um, you know, even even the irrigated farmers last year were not able to keep up. Mm-hmm. The evapotranspiration rates at, ter- at certain times of the year were running nearly as much as what you could irrigate at. You know, That's I think correct. you and I said we were one, 1. 1.5 to 1.8 inches of evapotranspiration per week being lost. And, uh, you know, you just you just said it in a presentation a day or two ago about, you know, to make up for that evapotranspiration at the time that peak water use is needed for the peanut, you need to be running between three and a half and four inches of irrigation a week. And we could just do can't that. do and that. No, no very, very few of the pivots around can, can maintain that. No, I mean, level. you got a couple, right? I mean, your little two tower, yeah, three tower pivots, like maybe. Um, but, you know, and, and I am, you know, I don't doubt that there has been some screening, you know, culling out some screening, some sizing, all of that's got to be going on. Mm-hmm. And because these guys, like I mentioned before, these guys are not going to put out a bad seed if they know. It. I mean, they're, that's not what they're after because they don't want people to come back fussing at them about poor seed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're going to do the best job we can. And and talking to all of them yesterday, it looked, looked pretty good. Now, we have no, you know, they've got, they've done a few cold tests on some that look pretty good, but that's only on a small portion. So we're just going to have to be cautious about that. And as we go forward, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that there, there are a lot of, you know, poor vigor seed out there, but, you know, hey, we just got to be cautious. Um, with that in mind, I mean, uh, the best thing that we can do, right, in that situation is try to try to really get growers to think about that we need to preserve the integrity of the seed as much as possible, so handle it right. We also need to make sure that we're planting the seed in good environments. That's right. You want to put it in the best possible condition you can and make sure everything is done yep. the right way for if, if it's if it's questionable, uh, if there's any questionable quality seed out there, you you Give don't it you can't uh, yeah you can't afford to then go and and kind of haphazardly do other things that are like oh, okay well let's just get it done. You got to put it in the right environment with everything done the right way. Uh, you know, good moisture environment, making sure it's planted at the right depth. That there is moisture at that depth. The temperature is right. You know, don't don't plant it into too cool of a temperature. Right. You know, if you're if you're running strip till then you got to make sure that you're putting it in the um in the stripped zone and you're not running up on residue and that your your uh residue cleaners are 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 getting the residue out of the way of the open furrow and you know that we're talking about a lot of moving parts it is a lot of moving parts something going back there i was thinking about because um whatever germ rate for a peanut seed is in the bag it, that's where it's got the maximum yield that's potential. Yeah. The minute you open that bag is everything we do from there, you are getting some penalty on yield potential, the way you are handling, planting, doing whatever, right? So, yeah, I was hoping to get a laugh yesterday, and I didn't get a single laugh. Everybody said I'm so negative all the time. <laughs> and I stepped out there and said, hey, we're going to have the highest yield potential possible until we plant. And, you know, and that's the best thing we got. I mean, it is. 
I, I was smiling in the back of the Okay, head. well, I was trying to be more positive. Um, but it does bring to, uh, you know, a situation that, um, one, the growers need to be well aware of what they're getting, okay? And I'm not trying to say they need to go in and demand a certain germ seed, even though, heck, you want the best you can get. But you got to realize we're stretched across quite a few thousand acres here and we're probably going to be more this year looking like it. so we're going to plant early and so we've got to do everything we can in that early planting to promote good good you know emergence all right so one you know hopefully if you're going to plant early you're a conventional grower all right what are you going to do if you're a conventional grower you're going to till a couple of times bottom plow whatever you might do you're going to disturb that ground quite a bit and if you let it sit for a week or so, it's going to warm up. It's going to be warmer than a reduced tillage situation. And that's, um, I kind of wrote that in an article the other day. We got to be very mindful that if you're a reduced tillage guy and you're wanting to plant in April, you probably need to go in and strip quite a few weeks in advance. And hopefully that 10 to 12 inch band strip is tilled up good enough that, that it warms up. But if we have a lot of rain and we're cold, guess what? It's going to happen in a reduced tillage thing. It's going to conserve that cool temperature and not heat up. Yep. Uh, so that's something to think about. So that's one. If I got seed, I don't know that I want to plant my reduced tillage first, you know, if I got a little bit of mix. Yeah. I know some people got to, but in those situations, you know that you're already behind the eight ball then, right? If you're in reduced tillage, you're behind eight ball on temperatures, so yeah, we got to watch that. It's, it's not only about moisture. I mean, if you're in if you're in a dry land in a conservation tillage system, you are reliant on paying attention to when you get the moisture, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, it, moisture and temperature these are both factors that have to be involved here. That you can't just go simply because you have the moisture. If it looks like you know the forecast says no rain for the next week to ten days. I've got some moisture now. Let me go ahead and plant in a reduced tillage situation. If you do that too early and the temperature's not there, you're going to hurt your stand. You're going to hurt yourself. Now I have, I have said it before. I give some grace to if I'm a dry land farmer and I'm dependent on getting that crop up and I got moisture now, but like you said, there is no rain coming for a month, three weeks. I'm going to probably go ahead and plant yeah. um, and take my licks but you got to do everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't put it down at three inches. If you already are at that moisture level, you done gone too far. You waited too long. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of what I wanted to bring out there was, all right, uh, I got a couple of questions about, well, if we knew we had subpar seed or good seed, how do we do with this? How do we do things with soil depth? How shallow can I plant? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. If you're irrigated, if you're irrigated, you don't want to be any shallower, well, anything, any shallower than probably an inch and a half because of the herbicide situation. Um, That can bite you a little bit more if you're pretty shallow. But an inch and a half, if you're irrigated, hey, you can do it and and have plenty, you know, water it after you, you water it ahead of time, make you have moisture, and water it afterwards, inch and a half, they'll come on out of the ground pretty quick. One thing you can't forget about there, though, if we're hot, that moisture dries up in an inch and a half pretty quick. 
And so we got to make sure that we're, we're on top of it with our irrigation. Um, I like two to two and a half. Somewhere in there is where I'm going to be. I don't like going more than three. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like getting to three, but I understand we, we got to do some things. Uh, but if we go, I mean, when you get to three, hey, guess what? We're, we're hoping for a miracle. And I don't know that we got some seed that had come out that from that depth. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you triggered my brain on, on two different comments. One, um, your question of how shallow can we plant versus how shallow should we plant right. is, are two different things. Um, I did a research project uh, early in my career. It's been over 10 years now um, that we did it, but we did it in Plains. And we had a, a, a pretty dry um, spring and, and planting season was pretty dry and we were doing it. It was a, a cover crop project. We, we were um, planting into rye residue um, when the rye was still actively growing and we couldn't run a, a strip till rig through there because of the actively growing rye because we were going to try to harvest, not, not the rye, I'm sorry, wheat. We had actively growing wheat and we were going to try to harvest the wheat. Hmm. So we were planting into a tram line that we had not planted a certain line of wheat. Well, because we couldn't run the subsoiler um, and we had the, the, the wheat there, when we put down and we tried to plant into that, uh, it was dry enough and the, the wheat had been pulling the moisture out of the mm-hmm. ground. <laughs> Those double disc openers to try and put the seed in the ground in planes, when that stuff gets hard on the surface, it's like planting on top of asphalt. I mean, it's, it's concrete. That's and, that's kind of what was going through my mind sitting here talking about this. Yeah, is if you got such a variability in soil types from one end of the spectrum to the other, as far as the peanut belt, plus even on individual farms, individual fields, such a variability of soil types that you've got to take that into consideration when you go out there. Sure, uh, you know. Uh-huh. But whether it's pulling when, moisture or otherwise. When, when we put this thing down on the ground, we planted and um, it opened it up enough to probably, like, I would say the top of the seed was probably equal to the sur- surface of the ground. I mean, it was oh, wow. not even under the ground. It was basically sitting on top. You could count every seed on top of the row because it was planting it on the surface. Right. I told them irrigate as much as you can. Let's just water this thing and hopefully it'll settle it'll settle down in. You'd be surprised at the stand we got. I was expecting a stand of maybe five or six plants in a 30 foot row. We actually got greater than two plants per foot. Dang. It now was surprising. I expect I expect if that was on sandy land it'd burn it up. Oh, yeah. It would have yeah. never come up. Now that brings up a good point. For simmer, um, we got a planter. We set that thing two and a half inches. We jump out there and we plant two thousand acres without even touching it. Is I mean, is that what you're seeing, or or how how many people have the ability, or how many people actually adjust? And that maybe that's a comment for the growers out there. I, I'd love to know. So, I mean, how yeah. many people actually actively change their seeding depth by soil type when they got three or four soil types in a field or do you just go and hope for the best so i was kind of thinking about what david was talking about earlier because we done a bunch of research on seeding depth and downforce in varying field conditions or soil types and all that and we every year i get at least 
three to five calls, if not more about, hey, this planter's not working right. What do you mean not working right? There's parts, some rows not putting seed in the ground or some are too deep. So I think my number one comment is, and I always say this, it's worth the investment, is when you very first time get your planter out in any field and start planting, make sure you spend the time to check each row unit because this is what how we do it and I used to do it. You got especially a 12 row planter. How many row units are you really going to dig behind and check? Right, right. Two, three, four. None of them are varying out same. The the parts are, you know, at different conditions in their life, all that. So we have seen so much variability just across the planter. Because what we do is we we find this one seating depth on few row units that looks right. And then we go across the whole planter and set the each row unit exactly. So one thing we have noticed just between the two rows on the planter, you could have different settings to achieve the same depth. Right, right. right. Because our depth, our depth, um, like you either have the springs, you either yep. have pneumatic or something. Yep. And a lot of those old ones, you're, it's all set the same. Yeah. And we do have a problem when you go across a red hill. And so, we always say they're the last thing to come up most of the time and it's because they're sitting on top of the ground almost. So, so that brings us to, don't matter if your depth set right, because we have seen it. We're, we usually try to plant two, two and a half. If that planter unit does not have enough weight, downforce on it, it's not going to go that depth deep, right? So if you, um, if you have downforce more than you need in a sand, but your gauge wheels are set properly, it doesn't matter, right? No, and that's, that's actually a pretty good point because something we have noticed on our research, because we did this downforce studies in uh, corn, cotton, and peanuts. Now, corn and cotton are very sensitive to both not having enough because then you're planting very shallower. Mm-hmm. And then if you have excessive then it actually compacts the soil and those seeds are smaller it kind of struggles to emerge and you're actually hurting the emergence peanut seed being a large seed and have a good vigor actually be able to take a heavy downforce well than the other crop so if if i were a grower my suggestion for peanut growers on their plant on downforce you are safer having more than not having enough. Okay. But just because what you said, you know, the, the gauge will still prevent us from going deeper, but you may be compacting a little bit of soil, but you may want to make sure that you're actually getting that seed down, especially in those heavy textured soils, parts of the field. You know, because one of the biggest things is we don't want it to be set at two and a half, and then that thing pushes it to three yeah. or three and a quarter in a sandy field. And so that's what you got to worry about sometimes. And, and that's where technology, I, I, you know, we got more and more planters getting upgraded across the state, you know, and that's one of my things. Like if you have, which we have in a lot in our South Georgia, is you have fields with a lot of varying conditions and all that, that it's hard for you to pick one downforce and say, well, it's not enough here. It's too much here. Right. Then think right. about active downforce. And so we are, you know, and we talked about this morning with the John Deere rip. Yeah. Know, talking about all the things I'm fixing to redo one of my planters so that we can, continue moving down the new technology road but also trying to work on some projects we got coming right and david you you you've looked at all these projects that are coming in i mean there are a lot of different things going on out there i mean we're talking about planting here 
there's a lot of people that are working on peanut, right? In there's, we've got 45 plus projects that are up for uh, possible funding for the 24, 25 year. Uh, these projects range anything from precision ag to production practices to insect control to tomato spotted wilt, leaf spot, uh, genetics, uh, variety selection, uh, variety production. So we've got a lot going on from from GPC, from the Peanut Commission, that we're looking to to fund for the researchers to give us our best their best information back that the producer can actually put into operation. And we tried to get growers at all these meetings, right, to say, exactly. hey, what are you looking you know, for? What are you missing? What are we missing? What haven't we done? Uh, because we we have some flexibility in some of what we do. You know, I have a about a quarter of my resources every year is to address things that come up now mm-hmm. or when as we start the year or from last year. Hot topic stuff. <clears throat> Hot topic stuff. That's correct. And so, um, you know, it's, it's important, you know, that we voice, you know, that, hey, we got this stuff coming along. I mean, a lot of people do think that um, when you look at how many things are being funded, how many things are being looked at in peanut, you know, you would say, well, all we need is technology and new varieties, and that's all we got to worry about. But we've it's got, not. We've got a lot more than technology yeah. and new varieties yeah. that we need to look at. I mean, that that's the nuts and bolts of it, but we've got to get a lot of the other topics involved in it, economic sustainability, oh, yeah. just a whole different line of things. You know, the, the producer, the farmer thinks about it, as, as just growing that crop and what variety and what practices that I can do. But we've got a whole lot of other things going into it that need to be looked at, and uh, that's what our research funding yeah. goes toward. And we're always looking for what does the farmer, what does the producer want us to address? Right. What do they see happening on their place in their operation that they've talked with their friends about that that's cropped up. Uh, what and, do they want us to look at? And that get, goes back to what Scott was saying, because it's important for us to hear from our growers what they want us to do or look at. Exactly. Because that's why I kind of encourage, you know, this is probably a platform also for us to tell growers, you know, ask us more questions because like, you know, in my program, I guess everybody's, you know, especially as extension guy, if I get it, ask a question more than three or five times that means okay you know let's do research to find out right right. because if you only if only one person asks sometime you're like okay that might be just one oddball or something but if that question gets bring up again and again again you know okay we need to do something to address that that's right and that's you know every year i got a list of stuff you know like right now the hot topic biologicals and what are we going to do with them and and there are a tremendous amount of them. And every year, a grower says, hey, what have about you looked this? at this one and this one and this one? It's like, no, I hadn't heard about those uh, because they don't always come through us. But I wish they would um, because if they worked, we're going to be a promoter of that. You know, um, you know, we, we, we try to be optimistic and try to look at everything we can because guess what? I know Mark Abney got up in a meeting the other day and says, you know, the number one thing I want to do as part of my job, ensure you make money. Talking about to the growers. I just want you to make money. And so um, that's our whole, whole goal. 
We don't want you doing something that doesn't work. We don't want you doing something that will hurt what you're doing. And we have had those situations too. Uh, but the biggest thing is we want to find a fit for everything that's coming along that'll work. We want to find a fit and get it out there. And um, we look at a tremendous amount of stuff. And some bottom, of that's worth. Bottom, bottom line, increasing their profit. Profitability. Yep. Profitability. Yep. Scott, so what you what you what what did we learn from today's meeting with the deer stuff? Because I huh. thought I thought like even with us, we don't start thinking about peanut planters until right April, now. May, right? Yes. But we need to start thinking about right now because especially if you're thinking about putting any extra parts or technology or just doing a simple upgrade everything's kind of backlogged or it's going to take some time that if you don't think it today, you may not be exactly. able to do it this Right. Year. Cause he, he, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I've got a project we got coming down and I'm trying to be more accurate with everything that we're doing and having a little technology. And, and yeah, he said, it, if I'm lucky, we can get the parts by no. March something, uh, probably April. And hopefully I can get a, uh, you know, everything pulled off and everything put back on, calibrated and ready to go by the time we need to get planting. Hopefully these producers have pulled their planters into the shop and have started going through them, going through them. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, just, the, just the basic maintenance of them. And then, of course, any upgrades that they're going to do, that they've already pulled them in and started, started spending some of these winter days, no. you know, taking care of those kind of items. And make sure, I mean, one thing, too, that we don't often think about, right? We, we clean the hoppers out. We clean the plates off. But behind where the vacuum is, if you, I mean, I know every one of us that have had the, um, the dry formulation seed treatment, what is the first thing that stuff does? All that powder comes out of the fan. And so sometimes that gets caked up behind the platform of where, the vacuum is being addressed, you know, yeah. being pulled on. And so sometimes if you hadn't, especially, you know, like a monosim, I know they will, and sometimes a John Deere will, but a John Deere is a little different uh, on how it pulls out. But sometimes we have to get all that. We have to take some of those parts out and clean them out because we'll lose vacuum. Yeah, really do a deep, a deep clean, a yeah. deep dive into that planter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's take care of it all. There's a lot. I mean, again, literally moving parts. There's lots of moving parts on a planter, and it's not just where the seeds coming out, but you got dry hoppers where there's you know insecticides or or certain uh, fertilizers or not so much in peanut fertilizer, but you know or dry herbicides thing. There's then the liquids. You know, if you've got an inoculant applicator or, or you know things that you put out, some insecticides that go out liquid. Make sure that those things are operational too. I mean, you got you leave oh, you, a, you leave a, a, no, a nozzle in there, and then the, the check the check valve seizes up, and nothing's coming out, or it starts spraying at an angle instead of down into the furrow. Exactly. And, um, the the tank itself, you know, if it's not cleaned out properly, uh, there there's so many different things that need to be addressed that y y you forget one thing, you get ready to roll, and then that one thing that you forgot is the one thing that then holds you up, and all of a sudden. I'm ready to start planting, and now I'm behind by figuring half a day. Figured out why it's not working right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and the biggest thing again, you know, you only make one planter pass, and everything else is in the season. If you don't have a stand, you don't have nothing to manage in that field. So, yeah. you don't pay attention to the planter side. One of the it's things, a pretty big risk. One of the things that, that I've noticed that really needs to be done is uh, 
on the planters where you've got the insecticide hoppers and it's putting down in furrow, uh, those need to be calibrated for what you're running. Mm-hmm. And they need to be checked from unit to unit to unit <laughs> because there is an astronomical yes. amount of difference between setting 12 on this particular row unit and setting 12 on yeah, the row unit next door. They don't, they don't, match, door up. They don't yeah. match up. Or exactly. the one on the other end of the planter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things that, that I've seen historically is that they really need to sit down and, and either get somebody to come in and help them. Well, that's why I'm going to plug in. So, yes. Uh, Stephanie here, I know, is our um, PDC in the Southwest District, but I know also there are kits available for our extension agents exactly. to go help. Yep. So that's a great resource that a grower can utilize, work with the county agent. And reach, out, a, reach out to somebody and get that, get that drive unit that you can go in right, and, and right. test each of those hoppers to make sure that you are putting out what you expect to put yeah. out, not what you think so you're putting out. There's yeah, a lot dry of and liquid, catch, catching liquid too. Liquid. I mean, yeah, you got to do liquid too. We've done, our, yep. we've done yep. you know, even just on a two-row unit where we're just catching right row and left row, we, we're doing an inoculant project where we're doing a rate study or a different product study. We need them putting out both of those rows the same, same amount and putting the same orifice in does not always guarantee you're going to be putting out the same. Orifice so we pressure, have to sit there and, valving, and uh, the, you know. So, yeah, it, so calibration's we, important. We've had better, you know, we've gotten better with some of the technology. I mean, liquids, I mean, one of the neat things that if you're running an old system, just to kind of give you an idea if everything's flowing good is a red ball system. Mm-hmm. That's simple, right? As long as my, everything's sitting there, I'm calibrated at the right thing. And even that, you know, used to be it was an orifice. Now you can get different diameter inner yeah. hose and and that'll calibrate itself yeah. i mean or not calibrate itself but i mean chain, yeah. there's only so much fluid that'll go through um so that's one thing with the dry so and the only two that we have dry would be thymet and aldocarb um and exactly. so uh which is ag logic and so if you nematode issue and those things there is you you probably need to make sure you got both of those if you're going back and forth a little bit make sure both of those you know i know that um over the last several years amvac has helped helped uh people that if they wanted to go from the boxes that are hard to calibrate to this new system they have which is a smart box system mm-hmm. they will help you get that and so and yeah. And and the only reason I bring that up is not to promote AMVAC by no means. It's the fact that there's a new technology there that will make putting out this stuff a little bit better, and we need it to be better because of tomato spider wilt. So mm-hmm. that's that's the reason I'm I'm saying that. So uh, that's out there, you know. But like I said, the liquids are out there, and I think they got a lot of neat things now to calibrate. And be easy to calibrate. I mean, each nozzle now. Oh yeah, for liquid, um, there are so many options that you know. Um, make sure you're using some of the simple technology, which comes integrated on most newer planters. Whether right, you know right. you're speeding up, slowing down a little bit at the end of the field as the planter, you know, it it makes sure you're doing everything right, and then even uh, making sure that everything is being put correctly across the whole planter. Right. Now, I will tell you that um, one thing that I would invi- advise growers to do, if, we, if we're putting out liquids in fur no matter what, um, I do not like going below five gallons per acre. Even if, you know, 
even if you're twin row, I mean, I still want at least five in each row. Uh, I'd rather it be higher than that. Uh, because if we get in droughty conditions, which I hope we're not, if you're planning, I hope we have moisture. Moisture. But if we get in droughty conditions and you're, it's borderline and you're in a new field that hadn't had peanuts, which might be this year. We've got a couple of people putting in some new fields this year uh, with acres potentially going up. If you go in and something that hadn't had peanuts in a while and you go in droughty conditions or where you don't get good soil contact or or that placement of that stuff's not right directly over the seed, guess what you can have? You can have a, a failure. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you about 45 to 50 days, you're going to see it. And so we don't want to, <clears throat> we don't want to see that happen. So try to get uh, your volumes up as much as possible. And if you are, just for instance, again, a, a friend of mine told me that um, we got a couple people going in some pasture with peanuts this year. First time it's ever been, ever been in peanuts. Something that we advise growers in that situation is to eliminate any problem with having a bad batch of inoculant. I tend to want to go in and do a three-quarter rate of two products. So if it's 16 ounces is the normal rate of one product, cut it back to three-quarter and, and add two products in the tank at one time. Because if you go in a, in a field where we've had peanuts, you got a chance of getting residual you got some, you got right? there. But in a, in a quote-unquote new ground or virgin ground, the margin of error is huge there, and so I don't want people to do that. That's just one thing I just come up with there that yeah. I remembered. <laughs> Relatively cheap insurance policy for the cost of the product versus what you can lose. And I have lost as much as 1,500 pounds per acre in an inoculant trial. Wow. Versus, I mean, it, yeah. that, that's extreme. That's yeah. really extreme. And it was like, yeah. you're talking about looking at lemon peanuts versus lime peanuts. It was extreme, yeah. but that yeah. does show what the yield potential is that can be lost. You know, they haven't had peanuts in a number of years. They really need to follow that same guideline is to go back in and make sure you've got it well inoculated. Yeah. You know, to, to cut that particular possibility out of the equation. Yep. So I you know, we're jumping around a little bit again because we're just trying to hit on a few hot topics. And we're gonna we're gonna probably hit on them again before we get to planting. But go ahead. I, so. I wanna I wanna just hit on one topic. Yeah. Leave here, but before planting, because this has a question that has come up you know, more on fertilizer spreaders, but I know in peanuts, you know, spreading lime, you know, we talked about soil sampling, all that last few podcasts in December or so. Yep. But I've been consistently getting questions like we have started operating our big spreaders at faster speeds, wider swaths, you know, how good of a job are we doing putting out our lime, especially because our peanut growers are doing variable at lime in most fields, you know. I I think that's something definitely to watch, and it depends also more on the field. If you have a field with a lot of soil pH variability, all that, if you are spreading your own, or even if you if you have some say in your commercial applicator, tell them to slow down a little bit because our ability to do variable at lime decreases drastically the minute you start speeding up. Speeding up okay. You know? Well, what about that? Which is more important, speed or width? I I. I 
Both? I'd manage both. I'd <laughs> manage both. I'm going to twist it. How about uniformity? There yeah. you go. Well, that's what, so that brings another point because I've seen recommendations were spread 250 here, 500 here, 750. Me and Glenn Harris, you know, we have always said, well, we, our spreaders are not capable of doing that. You know, you better be 500 and 1,000. That's the separation. And right, just do a good right. job of making sure that you're putting those rates because within the SWAT, it's automatically <laughs> have a lot of variability that you actually don't need to create more. But I have had this question because they're like, hey, why not we're able to address our soil pitches? Like, well, how fast are you running or who's coming and doing it? And they're just flying through the field trying to put it out. At that point, I would actually advise a, a one rate, a high rate across the whole field. And be sure. Be sure right, that right. you put that out. You know, that, that does bother me that, you know, and I know we are getting more acres. we got to get across more acres. Growers are getting bigger. But somewhere there's got to be a meet in the middle place somewhere because we don't want to lose quality yep. or quantity. And um, sometimes I know we get pulled in that direction. And then, and believe me, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I understand that it's all about the money when it comes down to it. We got we to spread out in order to pay our bills, and I understand that. But I also don't want you to spend unnecessarily money a certain way and not get anything from it. Yeah, yeah. and I feel so, like growers who do their own applications, all that, they have a lot of control over these things, you know, where yeah. they're like, hey, I want to make sure my swath is a little bit less wider, you know, so I'm doing a good job and I'm driving a little bit less slower. Because that's that's and just time, right? It, it's, it's just it's, their time. Sometimes it could be as simple as going to that field and watching that unit apply that yeah line. yeah and if you sit there and you see it it's obvious when you can see it like it pulses pulses that that yeah, means your you know, gate height's not set right i can sit here and talk for an hour about spreaders but <laughs> yeah. because but, but that, that that's an easy one to see yeah you know, well, that's when you need to address that's, it that's what it is even speed you can't miss a spreader flying through in the field you know yeah. so that's where you know okay all i'm seeing is a dust behind it you know which we don't know where it's going. So let's, well, let's make sure yeah. we do a better job of putting it out. That's the, well, I, I remember I was, I was in a meeting and I know we had one girl that says I'm cutting all this stuff back and I do things a certain way because I'm trying to survive. The problem is those two intersect somewhere, yeah. you know, the actual surviving and being able to make money or keep money actually, you know, is there's a point where you cut back so much or you try to shave off enough, you actually do harm more, you know, in those situations. Um, and so we got to watch it. There's a, there's a point, there's so much that you got to put in no matter what. Uh, and we can trim out of here and there, but it's, uh, it's not worth trimming out what everything. Um, yeah. and it's not worth trimming out the good stuff and then trying all this new stuff that we have not a lot of information on and hopes to make something happen. So well, that, keep that, that in mind. that's a perfect example of when we usually talk about technology, you know, and I have seen this a million times. People have technology on the fertilizer sprayers, on their planters, on their sprayers, and they're still having issues because we forget that. And I usually say, you know, having technology is pointless if you're not just filled you know, following the basic Basics, setup exactly. and calibration, all that. And sometimes they tend to argue like, well, I've got technology that automatically calibrates it. No, it does not. Yeah. You got to yeah. make sure your planter, 
Like I would rather before putting any technology on any piece of equipment, I would rather make sure that it's set up properly and working properly. You can get as good of a stand from a conventional ground driven planter than electric planter today that's out there if you make sure that it's set up right. Now the mechanics is right. Yeah. With that, disclaimer number one, we're not saying that all technology is not working. No. Right? We're just saying do your due diligence. Yeah. That's well, all. we can't just put a technology <laughs> on something and just say that it's it's making sure that everything's right, right, running right. right. You know, you still well, got to... We've got such a diverse group of producers in our state. Some of them are, are very much into the technology, very much able to do those kind of things. And then we've got some that are still using ground-driven planters, yeah. those kind of uh, pieces of equipment. Get the mechanics of whatever it is, whichever one it is, right get the mechanics working correctly, and then make the best use of what you have, which includes going back and checking behind what you're doing often. Right. And new new technology doesn't necessarily point to new tractors, new sprayers, new computers or anything. It's a new approach. That's how I look at it. It's any information you have to make a new approach uh, to do something a little different that makes it better. And so that's... I do want, you know, I always try to do things all, you know, I think outside the box sometimes and sometimes it ain't worth crap. And sometimes, you know what? We hit on something every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. So, but, um, so yeah, I'm all, you know, again, we're, we're not, um, didn't really have a specific topic, but just to kind of start introducing some things that, uh, we need to start thinking about as we go forward. Thank you, Simmer. Um, and, um, Thanks to Tubbs coming in, and thanks for uh, David West from Georgia Peanut Commission coming in. Uh, we have several things that that we're going to continue to talk about, and and you know as we go forward or get closer, we're going to hone in on you know whether it's seed or or weed side, you know things going on with weeds and insects, things that we got to know as we go forward. But uh, one thing that I hope that over the next couple of weeks, because again we got another two months before we really get going here. Uh, we're going to start diving into some projects that we got going on because I want people, and that's one reason I wanted David to come in too. We're going to start just picking some projects that um, I think growers that are important, at least I think growers would think they were exactly. being important. Um, from, and we're going to start you know, probably on things that they think uh, would consider important right now. And then we might bring in things like the new varieties coming and new techniques that we got coming. Because again, all of the things, those 45 projects, I guarantee you about a half, well, about a third of them, you probably would see every day, right? The approach. I mean, exactly. what we're trying to do is what we call applied research. And then there's a good many of them that are basic research that are needed to kind of, pave the way for tomorrow, if you want to say that. And then we got some that are even more advanced than that, right? Because we're starting to at least think about the alternative uses for peanut. We are. That was one of the the things we asked for in proposals this year is what are some of the uses of peanuts that we can develop like some of our other commodities have done but we don't want uses that have de- that are decreasing our price. We want high value uses for right, our peanuts. Right. 
So that was one of the things that we threw out and, and challenged our researchers to do is to come up with or, or go back and look at some of these high-value uses and let's see where they fit. Yep. And let's see yep. if we can't bring them into into current day, if you will, and uh, allow our producers to have a, uh, another avenue of market, but that's still a high-value market. Yep. And that's that's the important thing kind of want to end up on with today, Scott, unless you got something else, is the fact that we got – 50% of our efforts are maintaining peanut production at the state that it is now and enhancing it, okay. you know, through the applied research that we're doing. And that's every day. We're trying to do something every day. And and I, I'm, I'm pretty confident every, every single person on the extension peanut team, but also the research side, we are fighting to solve a lot of the everyday problems. And uh, we're working as hard as we can to try, to try to limit that and to run our yields up even higher. Um, and then the other half, again, is stuff that growers at this point may say, eh, why are we doing that? But if we don't do it, that's that we've got to do it. We've we, got we, to we've search got, out we've these got to things. Continue. That's right. We've got to do research today on a lot of the things that will yield a result five years from now, six years from now, 10 years from now. Right. Because right. if we don't progressively look at our our production at our industry, uh, we're, we're going to be going backwards on yeah. things. And we're going to do that. You know? Exactly. And, and guess what? Every project that I work on doesn't always yield something that I want to take to a grower, but it answers a question or it points me in a direction. And I think that's the same way with these new projects. Um. So with that, I, I won't hold anybody up anymore. We uh, we are all about the pod, episode two in 2024, season two. So we're going to march down that road. Uh, as we get closer to the growing season, we're going to bring you more information. So stick with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you.